You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Well, let's uh, open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew 18. Last week, we began a brand new sermon series. And you know, sometimes I think you probably get tired of me saying this, but you know, sometimes I find myself in the midst of preparing these messages that this is the most important sermon series you'll ever hear. But I think I said that last time, and I'll probably say it the next time. And I guess what it is, is it's kind of like sitting down and eating a meal. Let me ask you this question. Is last Sunday's meal going to last today? The answer is no. I can't wait to eat my wife's birthday today so she doesn't have to cook. Amen. I'm going out and getting McDonald's. I'm excited about it. And uh, I'll do a little better than that. But the truth is, I can't wait to have a wonderful meal this afternoon because last week's over. And what I thought last week, I probably told my wife, I know I did last night. She fixed an amazing meal last night. And I think I told her, man, this is the greatest meal ever until this meal that I'm about to eat. And it's just that way with God's word. We need it every week. And the truth that he has prepared for us is is vitally important to the vitality of our Christian lives. And so we're in Matthew 5 last week where we ultimately said this. In so many words, we said, resolve conflict now. Resolve it quickly. We even got somewhat specific in saying that, look, man, most conflicts should be resolved within minutes or hours. If at times maybe a day or two, and at the most a week or two, but, but let's get it resolved quickly. Before I tell you about today's message, if you need a worship guide, if you'd lift your hand and we'll get one to you for notes in the balcony on the main floor, just lift it where we can give you one so you can have this tool this week for your Bible study. Today we're continuing our series on resolving relational conflicts. So I want you to do something and I want to challenge you with this. I want you to bring to your mind a face. A face of someone where there may be some tension in that relationship. I want you to think of that person. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it is a son or a daughter. Maybe it's somebody you work with. That it's kind of been a little bit rough around the office or where you work. You've tried to avoid this person. Maybe it's somebody here this morning where you just are kind of thankful they're not in this service. Maybe they came to the first one. Maybe it's the person sitting next to you. And there's just some tension. And as you think about that person, I want you just for a moment to understand that that we can't avoid conflict. So, So hopefully that relieves you some. This is not a sermon to put guilt on you for having conflict. This is a sermon to say, we're gonna have it. How do we resolve it? Does God make a big deal about it? Is it important to God? And I say, yes, yes, yes. The issue is not, are we going to have it? The issue is, how are we going to resolve it? And so we're in Matthew chapter 18, and this whole chapter really deals with sin. If you follow along in this chapter, you'll find out that verses 1 through 5 actually talk about not causing one of the little ones in the kingdom to sin. And then in verses 6 through verse 10, we find that he's speaking about those who are tempted to sin. He says, woe to the world for temptations to sin. 
in verses 10 through 14, he talks about God's loving pursuit of people who have gone astray. That God's pursuing people who have fallen into sin. And we see this word sin pop up several times in this chapter as a result of God teaching on how we should handle this. How should we react to this? How should we feel about this? And then in verse number 15 of our text, he says, if your brother sins. There it is again. The theme, the subject of this chapter. And he goes on to say here in our text, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two brothers or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of the two or three. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let it be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two or of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. In verses 15 through 20, he's dealing with sin, but it's, it's sin against a brother. It's conflict resolution. It's the subject for which we're discussing. And it's one of the most well-known passages Often preached, maybe sometimes misunderstood. And because of that, I'm not going to allow for any gray area. This is one of those messages where we're going to let the word of God speak. We're going to take the entire message from this passage of scripture. We're going to make sure it's clear because it is clear how God says to deal with conflict. It's so clear. It's so evident that it's important to God. And, And God gives us eight Very specific things to do. And so what I'd like to do is just clearly show you those eight things in Scripture. I will have a couple of ancillary verses to share, but at the end of the day, most of it's going to come from the text. So look with me, if you would, please. It says here, first of all, if your brother sin. Number one, the first thing you need to do is make sure it's a big deal. Make sure it's a big deal deal. It says here, if your brother sin. Notice here, it's very specific that it says sin. Now sin, church, is a big deal. Amen? But sometimes what I have found in my lifetime as a husband, as a dad, as a pastor, is that oftentimes it just ain't a big deal. It's not sin. In fact, we need to understand as a church the difference between personal preference and sin. Because if it's a matter of personal preference, Matthew 18 does not apply. It's just your opinion. That's my opinion. That's just because we're different. We all have differences. There's a difference between sin and personal preference. Those are not the same subject. So if we're on the subject of sin, we got to get off the subject of personal preference. You know, some of the things, some of the reasons why God changed me as your pastor, some of the reasons, some of the things that God did in my heart here as the pastor of this church 
some of the things our church leadership and membership did in transitioning from what we found out were personal preferences, no scripture and verse whatsoever, no issues of sin, just personal preference. I remember we hosted a youth conference in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. We still host it in the Pigeon Forge area. And I remember the, we had this group called 10th Avenue North. Has anybody ever heard of 10th Avenue North? They have some great songs. They're one of my favorite groups. And I was really blessed that they would come and sing for us. Most everyone enjoyed them. But I could tell it was a little uncomfortable for a few. It just wasn't their style. And they were listening. You could tell they, they did not really know how maybe to enjoy it. They, they, they couldn't figure out. So some of them approached me with their problem. And as we talked a little bit, we both found out that it wasn't a matter of biblical position, scripture and verse. It was just a matter of personal preference. And, and God worked those things out in that conversation that this is, is not really that big of a deal. We all have different personal preferences. Some things just aren't a big deal. But how do you figure that out? Can I give you two ways to do that? Number one, if it's a matter of personal preference, it's just not a big deal. Not a matter of right or wrong. So what do we need to do? We need to pray. Listen, church, we need to pray about discernment of personal preference and sin. Because as I see it, so many churches are splitting and becoming a bad testimony to the community over things that aren't in the Bible. They're not in Scripture. And yet... Brothers and sisters, husbands and wives, moms, dads, and children are taking positions of conflict, disagreement, divorce, separation. I'm going to another church over personal preferences, not sins. So first of all, you've got to decide, is this a big deal? Because the scripture says, if a brother or sister sins, number two. If it's a matter of personal irritation or annoyance, it's not a big deal. It's just not a big deal. I mean, my wife and I found out in the first few years of our marriage that we get on each other's nerves. Sometimes she does something that just annoys me. And probably more often I do something to her that disturbs her. And you know, we we would sometimes in those early days find some tension in that and, 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 and have some disagreement. But you know what we've done after 30 years? We've decided those, just, those things just aren't worth it. It's not that big a deal. Man, you look at the big picture. Man, my wife is incredible. 54 years, looks like she's 34. Hallelujah. It's an amazing lady. You know what? If she leaves her sandals or slippers, or I leave mine, where, you know, you have to kind of kick them out of the way, at the end of the day... Is that really a big deal? Is that something to call the church and get counsel over? Is that reason to use the D word? <laughs> Truth of the matter is, I find that there are many people that are, have conflict over areas of irritation and annoyance. And according to Matthew 18, it has to be a sin. There has to be a chapter and verse. I'm still looking for the chapter and verse about the slippers. I haven't found one yet. So I continue to keep them where she has to kick them out of the way. No, I'm just kidding. Notice it also says there it has to be against you. I mean, we might as well just take 
God's word for what it says. If your brother sins against you. You know, sometimes a brother or sister may do someone else wrong, but if they're not doing us wrong, then it's not Matthew 18 for us. It may be Matthew 18 for someone else, but it's got to be a sin against you. Very specific here. Isn't it interesting how God's word is so clear? So maybe some of us are thinking as that face we had in our minds in the beginning, maybe we're thinking, oh, really? Oh, well, it's not really a sin then. Well, maybe, maybe, maybe it's not a big deal. And maybe this isn't an issue I need to really make a big deal about. Or maybe you're sitting there thinking, well, preacher, it is a sin. And it is against me. What do I do next? Number two, go to the person. Go to the person. Isn't scripture clear? If your brother sins against you, go. Go and tell him. Notice there's, there's no pause here. There's no, you know, th- th- there's no indication here that we need to be casual or indifferent about it. We need to take action. Immediately. If a brother or sister sins against go. I know it says brother, but we all know I'm adding sister just because I want to cover the whole church because... That's what scripture's teaching here and means here. Go. Don't feel like you have to wait or feel like you have to say, you know, well, I, I'm just going to give it some time. No, th- there may be some times for that. And I'm going to cover that in just a moment. But at the end of the day, I want us to really grasp hold of what this says to do next. Take action. Now, what are some things we do instead of taking action? Well, one, instead of taking action, we gossip. We gossip. Instead of going, we spread the offense. We tell somebody else how damaging this is. How damaging. To go to somebody else. Tell somebody else a fault that they have against someone else who has sinned against us. And and begin to spread gossip and hurt that person's testimony. And potentially even spread lies. And I'll get to that in just a minute. How sad is that? And yet that is honestly done more than what God says to do. And that's why we have such a mess in so many of our... And so many of our conflict resolution situations and why so many churches have a hard time ever really gaining ground against the devil is because we're too busy arguing, fighting, and handling conflict resolution wrong. That's why so many husbands and wives continue to struggle in their marriages because they're not following God's plan for conflict resolution. And most everything can be handled in step one and step two. Once I make sure it's a big deal and once I go to the person... 99.9% of the issues can be taken care of, but instead we gossip. Another thing we do instead of going is we hold it inside. We stew. That doesn't work, does it? We just let it brew. We let it get worse. We stew. We wait a week or two or a month or a year, and man, it just kind of blows up at some point because we didn't go. Instead of going thirdly, we try to get even. I've seen this. I've seen the course of action not go to the person, but I'm going to get even with that person. In fact, they hurt me. I'm going to hurt them. They talked about me. I'm going to talk about them. They did this to me. I'm going to do this to them. And that's just not, it's not what God subscribes to. Number four, instead of going, we just deny it. We do this because we don't want to admit this really hurt us. You know, I don't really care about the person anyway. I don't need them. Who cares? Go give me another friend. Give me another wife. Give me another husband. Yeah, that's a big deal. I never loved him anyway. We deny it. I see this often. That attitude. Instead of going, we just 
We just deny it. So the question here, very early on in the sermon is, do we go? We've got to answer that question, church. Do we go? Do I go? Do, do you go? Now, I want to add something else to that. Just since we're on this, I want us to... Well, I want to tell you a little personal testimony because, you know, I don't know that this is, is, is necessarily scripture per se, but I'm going to tell you how oftentimes I have handled things. And I feel like this has contributed to me being a pastor here for 26 years, married for 30 years, and I'm a stayer, man. I, I, just, I just believe anything can work out if, even if you're wrong or somebody else is wrong. I think I, I just, I've always believed that, you know, it's better to work things out than it is to bail. But one of the things that I've, I've done is first, the first thing I've done is, is I've examined, is this something that I can just let roll off my back? Do you know that 90% of the things that I really think about that are happening in my life that are bringing me a little bit of most of them, I can just roll off my back. It's not that big a deal. I mean, I, I don't know that I need to really make a huge deal about this. I don't know that I need to really confront my son or my daughter about this is not in the grand scheme of things. This is, I don't know, I, I, maybe I'll just let it take care of itself. It's not that big a deal. I can let, and I examine, because so many times, it's so small. And if I, if I were to make a big deal of that and, and feel like that offended me, I would almost feel as if I just was so sensitive to, to, to something that really I should be a better Christian than that. Just me personally. Can I tell you something else I do? Once I roll it off my back, then I roll it on to the Lord's back. Because you know what? He can bear it a whole lot better than I can. And sometimes God can speak to somebody so I don't have to. I've had people before tell me, preacher, you know what? I'm really sorry about this. And I'm like, wow, who told you? Well, the Lord convicted me. Ah, it worked. God will make you look good if you want to overreact. Just take your time. Maybe let it roll off your back or roll on to the Lord's back. But, but listen, most of the time it does require at some point you, you'll need to go to the person. And so again, back on the subject, what could happen when two people who love Jesus with all of their heart go to each other and work out a problem gently, humbly, and lovingly? Let me tell you what will happen. You'll work anything out. Anything. You say, preacher, man, you're awfully optimistic. No, I'm just preaching the Bible. There's nothing that can't be worked out of two people who love Jesus with all their hearts. The Jesus in them loves the Jesus in you. The Jesus in you loves the Jesus in them. You love one, you love them, you're, you're gentle with them, you're humble about it, you're not arrogant, you don't go to them with an attitude, you just go to the person. And when two people come together with that heart, there's nothing that couldn't work out. But what happens next? It's right in the text. After I determine it is a big deal and it's big enough to go to the person, I do go to the person, I take action. And then thirdly, I tell him his fault. Number three, be specific. Be very specific. Tell him his fault. Don't beat around the bush. Don't tiptoe through the tulips. Don't beat around the bush. You did this and it hurt me. Lay out the facts. These are not assumptions, right? They're facts. These are not, well, you know, I kind of think or I felt like. We say that way, I felt like. No, no, no. It's not you felt like. You're hurt. No, I won't wish you all. 50-50. Just come right out, man. Get it on the table. Amen. 
Let's, let's work this thing out. Tell him his fault. Notice it says, tell him, not show him. Hmm. Honey, uh, are you okay? Yes, I'm okay, okay. You sure you're all right? I'm fine. I'm good. Leave me alone. I was just asking. I know. Quit asking. Look, there's a problem, okay? Can you just tell me the problem so we can work it out? Don't show me you've got the problem. Just tell me what it is. And sometimes I think we kind of show out instead of just talking it out and working it out. I think there's a great example of this in God's Word. Jesus was the perfect example of so many things, wasn't he? And we can find our Savior expressing some attributes that he had in John 1.14. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We've seen his glory. The glory is of the only Son from the Father. And here's what we saw. When we saw his glory, it was full of grace Those two things are opposites. Grace and truth are on both ends of the spectrum, but he was full of both. He was gentle and loving and humble, grace. But he was firm and honest, truth. You see, so many times I feel as if we err on the side of grace. We're so much grace that once we get through with expressing the problem, it almost seems like it wasn't really a big deal, so it really didn't get handled because we tiptoed around the tulip and we just decided, well, you know, it's okay. I know you love me. No, 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 you're hurt. You got to tell him. Now, don't tell him in a mean, ugly, hateful way. So if we could be full of both, if we could have grace and truth, that's a powerful balance. The balance of having both, the balance of not being this arrogant, mean-spirited. Listen, that's, God changed me in the pulpit. I don't know that I was ever 100% truth and no grace, but I think I, I grew up in a, in, in a movement that was 90-10. So I, I kind of erred on the side. I, I never really drank the Kool-Aid, but I think I was 60-40. You know what I try never to do now, ever, is get mad in the pulpit. I just try never to do it. Somebody says, well, preacher, did you hear that noise in the church? Did you hear that person talking? Did you hear that person, see that person sleeping? Did you? Yeah, I saw it, but let's keep on preaching the truth. You know, I mean, maybe it'd be good sometimes if somebody thinks they can help a person who's disturbing in the service, that would help. But at the end of the day, I just don't want to get mad while I'm preaching. I'd rather preach the truth with love. And so I work at that. And there's a lot of other areas. I mean, sometimes, personally, man, I can get in the flesh if I'm not careful. And I begin to err on the side of grace or err on the side of truth when I need to have a balance of both because all truth and no grace is brutality. But all grace and no truth is hypocrisy. And honestly, I think the church often is one of those or the other. Church, we've got to preach the truth. Therefore, we're not going to compromise a gospel life. But when we preach the truth, we're going to preach it in love. We're going to do it gently. We're going to do it humbly. We're not better than anybody else, but we can't sidesweep the issues. They've got to be addressed. And so in confrontation, if we could learn the balance between the both of these, we could just about work anything out. 
Be very specific. Next, notice it gives us another really clear instruction. If your brother sins, it's a big deal, against you, go. So I'm, I'm going to, to go to the person and, and tell him his fault. I'm going to be specific between you and him alone. Number four, make it private at first. Make it private at first. In fact, let me say this about at first. The reason why you want to make it private at first, get this, every year, 99.9% of every problem has just been solved, number one through four. Isn't it great? 99.9% of every problem in your marriage, in your relationships at work, in your church, in your small group, between each other, 99.9% will be resolved if you'll follow. It's a big deal. Okay, I'm going to go to the person. I'm going to be... Real specific, tell them what's on my heart, what's offended me, and I'm going to do it private. You and him alone. Now, 1 Peter 4, 8 teaches something. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Above all. Above all. Wow. Above everything, love one another like crazy. I mean, go overboard. Like extreme. You know why? Because love covers a multitude of sin. Now, wait a minute. Does that mean love covers up sin? No, no, no. That's a mistake. We try to sweep sin under the rug, not address it. We ignore it. We don't talk about it. We don't go to that brother. No, no. Love covers a multitude of sins in a sense that when you and I, in the text that we're reading, go to the person, we're specific, we lay it out, and we do it private, guess what? The fallout, the testimony. Amen. We're not destroying that person. We're not, that person can now leave this conversation in this moment and get back involved in the marriage again or involved in church again. And most of the time, these things can be handled because they're, 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 they're small enough to be handled. And God knew that most resolution conflict can be handled within a, a conversation between two people that love God. Why do we do this? Why do we go private at first? Because if I go private, I'll avoid public shame. That's why, that's why I do it. I, I don't really want to bring shame to the work of God, to the, to the brother or sister in Christ. I, I really want to work this out between him and I. I don't want to slander him. I don't want him to never have a chance again. I really do desire to avoid public shame, if at all possible. Number two. I make it private at first because I might be mistaken. I mean, it's possible you could be wrong, right? Humility says this. Maybe they didn't mean what they said. Maybe I took it wrong. That's humility. Humility doesn't go in, I know I'm right. Humility goes in and says, look, let me tell you where where I'm hurt. You know what? I I didn't mean that. I I didn't mean, I'm sorry. No, no, it didn't happen that way. Let Let me tell you what happened. I go in private, thirdly, because I, I, he may not realize what he did. Isn't that true? I mean, think about it. It does say, go and tell him. Why would you have to go and tell him if he knew? A lot of times you have to go and tell him because he doesn't know. Not all the time, but many times. I know that my wife has come to me before when we've had an issue, and I just didn't know. I'm like, oh, my, I didn't, honey, no, I didn't, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's just, you've been doing it. It's been a fit. Okay, well, thank you for telling me. I just had no idea. 
What if she would keep that for months and years and harbor bitterness about something that if she had just come to me? I go in private at first because if they listen, I've gained my brother. Isn't that what it's all about? Isn't it about restoration? Isn't it about making things right? Is that what it's about? Isn't it seem as if God is all about making things right? I want to gain my brother. There's a little friction. The relationship is a little off kilter. So if I go and I get it right and I, and I make it private at first and everything works out, I've gained my brother. And I want our church to remember this, that a tested relationship is the best relationship of all. My relationship with my wife has been tested. That's why it's lasted 30 years. My relationship with this church has been tested. That's why it's lasted 26 years. When you test a relationship and when you go through some trials and tribulations and hard times and conflict and confrontation and conversations that always aren't comfortable, when you go through a little tension and you get through it, you're stronger because of it. A tested relationship is the best relationship there is because any other relationship is phony. It's fake. It's not real. And how many of us, honestly, we've been kind of living that phony relationship. We're just not getting honest with one another. We're avoiding the issue. We're avoiding the conversation. I'm sleeping on the couch. They're in the bedroom. And this has been going on for weeks and months and years. And we're just not addressing the issue. And it's getting worse. Why? Because God gave us a plan. And 95% of every problem we have could be solved in one through four. I've got to give you six, seven, eight, and nine, uh, rather five, six, seven, and eight. I'm going to give them to you, but I want you to know it's very rare that it ever gets past four. It just is. I mean, I think that one through four is the reason why, after 30 years, she kissed me today. I think this is the reason why. Top three reasons why my kids are all in church this morning. Top three. Top three reasons. I know, I'm not saying similar reason. Top three why every kid's in church today, because one through four has covered a multitude of sins. I think this is one of the top reasons why I find myself joyful, even in tribulation. I, I'm not always angry and depressed and frustrated and I don't walk into services looking for the negative. I walk in looking for the positive because the negative most of the time is no big deal. You'd be surprised as to why people sometimes, what people sometimes bring up after a service. We can baptize and have a wonderful worship service, preach a good message, and somebody will say, yeah, preacher, I'll tell you what. The thermostat was off 1%. I was miserable the entire service. You know. You know what those emails get? Trash. Just kidding. Just kidding. No, I respond. I respond. I do. I respond to every email. Return every phone call. That's the truth. But at the end of the day, honestly, I'm amazed at some of the things that that erase all the positive. And, 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 and we focus on these little things that, that don't really matter. When, when if we would focus on handling the issues that do matter, they would all get handled one through four. But sometimes they don't. So what do we do then? Well, let's keep reading. What about verse 16? But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you. Increase the pressure by involving others. It's not working out. 
So guess what? Don't give up. Don't throw in the towel, but increase the pressure. This person's done wrong, and, and they're not stopping. They're, they're going to keep doing it. They, they feel like, you know, they, they, they're maybe rebellious, or they're seriously in sin. They're doing things and, and not willing to admit these things. They're continuing to, to be confrontational, and it's just getting ugly. Well, the Bible says if, if you can't resolve it, go get one or two people to bring with you. Now, who, who are these people? Well, number one, take someone who is known by both people. It's very important that you, you don't just pick up a couple of strangers, you know. <laughs> you know, it's important that contextually we're, we're, we're only on number five. I mean, obviously, if I'm on number five, there's three more levels to this. So I, I really want to try to resolve this since they wouldn't listen. I'm hoping they'll listen now. And so I, I'm going to get a couple of people that, that we both know. And secondly, they're going to be spiritually mature. Take someone who is mature in the faith. You know, don't get someone who, who doesn't go to church or, hey, well, I got this guy at work. He's a pretty smart guy, you know, and he's been you know, divorced six or seven times. But, I mean, he knows. He's been there, you know. Probably not the right choice. You want to get somebody who's mature in the faith, who, somebody who has a walk with God. They're faithful to church. They're in a small group. They, they have spiritual wisdom. They can help you. They can, they can listen to both sides and figure this thing out. And then thirdly, take someone who is objective and cares for both sides. Very important that we're not trying to win this by, you know, okay, this is one that's for me and this is one that's for you. No, this is someone who's for both of us. They're going to listen this thing out. They're going to hear this thing out. They're going to maybe help me identify if it really isn't as big a deal as I'm making it or identify that it is a big deal and you need to get things right. Increase the pressure by involving some others. And then number six, why do we do this? Well, it says, but if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So, so number six, stay on the topic that every charge may be established. In other words, Let's establish, is it legitimate or is it bogus? Just to be honest, is, is this a legitimate situation? Is this something that, that we really need to discuss and, 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 and make a big deal of? Or is it something that maybe has just been misconstrued and mistaken here? These are what the two or three witnesses are able to do. They're godly people. They're mature in the faith. They, they're objective. They care for both sides. They're going to stay on topic. We need to make sure that every charge is established. And guess what? Sometimes bringing spiritual people that care into the equation helps determine that. God's brilliant, isn't he? He's brilliant. This is very helpful. Now, I want to help you to avoid some statements in this context. Avoid some, some things. Number one, avoid statements of motives. You know, I know why you did this. Don't judge the heart. Don't judge motives. Only God knows the heart. Judge actions. Judge actions. That's all you can judge. You can't judge the heart. You can't judge their motives, but you can judge actions, the facts. Lay it out. In other words, it's the evidence of the two or three witnesses. We're establishing the evidence. 
Second thing I would encourage you to avoid is dramatic portrayals of injury. It's funny, but there's so much drama sometimes in these situations. I just devastated that you didn't talk to me in the hallway. Cut the drama. If we're going to solve this problem, we, we can't be so dramatic. We've got to talk it out. And so many times, I have to get past the drama, and it takes a while when I'm one of those two or three people that people choose to talk to them. There's a lot of drama in relationships that just don't need to be there. And if we're spiritual people and we're going to be humble and helpful, I encourage you to, to try to work it out without a lot of the drama. Number three, avoid assumptions about being right. Because it is so hard to work things out with somebody who is always adamant about being right. It's just impossible. And sometimes you get into a relationship, a conversation, you're trying to work things out, and you can tell right off the bat who the domineering person is because they're always right. Avoid that. Go into it with an open mind, realizing that you could be wrong. Maybe they just don't see it the way that you see it. Maybe they have a different perspective. It's amazing because sometimes, you know, we wonder why different churches have different perspectives, different music styles, maybe different reasons for doing different things. Why? Because they're different. Why do you think it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? I mean, aren't they the Gospels? Don't they say the same thing? I mean, why did God give us four Gospels instead of just one? Here's why. Because each one of them gives us different perspectives. Isn't that cool? Aren't you glad that I'm a little bit different than Nathan? Nathan's a little different than Mike, and Mike's a little different than Ken, and we all can have different perspectives. Dylan's a little bit different than, you know, someone else, Butch, and so we get together and we talk, and we, we all give our perspective. None of us necessarily wrong. It's just the way we say it. So we bring up a sports conversation and we have a debate and we're not going to, we're going to walk away saying it's all good, right? Because it is all good. I just think LeBron's the best player in the NBA. And you think Steph Curry is. You got your reasons, I got my reasons. And when we're done, we're going to give each other a high five. I think the Razorbacks are pretty bad this year. So do you. So we're good. Everybody's happy with it. We're all happy. I mean, the attendance has been up because the Razorbacks are losing. <laughs> If they're winning, we party all night. We don't come to church the next day, right? I'm joking. I'm joking. Christian party, right? Kool-Aid, chips, and salsa. Amen. The point I'm making is this, is that we may have a different perspective. So when you are in a conversation with someone and there's more than one person there, don't be arrogant and feel as if you have to be right. It may be that you need to give your perspective and they need to give their perspective could just be different well now what do we do it's still not working out they didn't listen to the two or three we're still in a bad situation what do we do now look at verse number 17 it says if he refuses to listen to them tell it to the church pastor this is getting out of hand tell it to the church well first of all let me tell you what 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 my feelings about that scripture are. And I think I've got, I've got some support to this. I do believe one of the reasons why we have an elder-led church is we're able, I believe this is talking about specifically, most importantly, in the majority of the time, take it to the elders. 
take it to the spiritual leadership of the church. That's why we don't just have one person that is, is I may be the lead pastor, the teaching pastor. I may be the vision caster, but we have, we had an elders meeting yesterday where our guys get together. We talk about things. We try to sift things together through and work things out and talk about decisions together. Why? Because we, we're together. We're a plurality of leadership. And so take it to the church. Let me, let me give you a scripture here. First Timothy 5.20. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. It's pretty serious, isn't it? How many of you are thinking, I hope that doesn't mean when I get in a little argument with my wife that pastor's not going to bring it up on Sunday morning. If you had a counseling session with me this week, you're scared half to death right now. You're like, Pastor, please don't bring it to... Don't worry. I don't think that's applying to problems that don't get worked out with two or three. I do feel like that if it was a leader in the church like myself, if I was looking at pornography and I was approached and arrogant about it and still sneaking around doing it, I should be stepped down from this pulpit not be this, the pastor of this church anymore and it should be addressed publicly because I'm a public leader and public sin deserves public admission. And we've had two cases like that in 26 years where we've actually had on a Sunday night, not a Sunday morning, but on a Sunday night. And I think now if we ever had that happen again, again, two times in 26 years, we've actually had a leader that we've had to bring before the church and we've handled it and we didn't sweep it under the rug. We dealt with it. It's rare. It's very uncommon that you have to bring it before a large congregation, but we did it on a Sunday night. Now I think I would just announce on a Sunday morning if that ever happened again, or if I always like to throw me under the bus because it's easy to talk about me. If it were the pastor, then probably Shane or Nathan or somebody would stand up and say, tonight we need to discuss some things about the pastor. And I just want everybody to come tonight and you're interested, you can hear about it. I mean, God forbid that would ever happen. But that's how we would handle it in those extreme situations. But most of the time, I think it's talking about the elders of the church here. And I believe that because this is a very, very strong confrontation. Two or three, it didn't work out. Now I'm going to go to the leadership of the church. Now I'm going to go to Pastor Capace and the elders of the church and say, you know, this is just not working out. We've tried everything. They're, They're still running from the situation, avoiding it, avoiding the, the, the conversation. They're, they're still not taking care of it. It's not resolved. And then I and the elders may have to look at that man and say, listen, are you a Christian? Yes, I'm a Christian. Well, then start acting like a Christian. Start acting like one. This is not right. And we're going to resolve this. Or, number eight, last one. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Well, in the context of this passage, Jesus here is speaking to the Jews. And the Gentiles to the Jews would have been blasphemers, idolaters. I mean, they were really, this would have really spoken to that crowd that Jesus was preaching to. They would have said, oh. Let him be as a Gentile, a tax collector. That's pretty much the same today, right? We can relate to that. Let him be like that. So number four, be willing to end the relationship. 
You don't come to this place easily. In fact, church, I'm going to be honest with you. If, if you're listening now more than you were listening in the first four, you've missed, you've missed it. This, this so rarely would ever apply. This, this is not something here today that we are, we are putting at the top of, of, the, of the menu. This is, this is not happened, honestly, hardly ever. I don't know of a time it's happened here. But there could come a time when you have to end the relationship. It's a very, very drastic step. Someone might be saying here, what, what, what if it's my spouse? Or what if it's somebody on staff? Or Good questions. And those are hard questions, aren't they? And that's why the sermon series isn't over. We've got more to talk about. There's more scripture. We're going to talk about that. But not tonight. Not today. Right now we're going to close with this. Church, 99.9% of our issues can be resolved one through four. 99.9. If we make sure it's a big deal. That's, to me, that one there, how many times when I practice this do I not even pick up the phone? I could be on my way to the person and say, ah, you know what, (laughs) that's just not a big deal. I've just got an attitude. I just want my way. And I'm not, you know what? I love that person too much. I don't even want them to think I'm, it's not that big a deal. It's a personal preference. Not that I couldn't go to them. Not, not that I couldn't talk. But if I go to them, listen, if I go to them about a personal preference, don't miss this. It's not Matthew chapter 18. Are you with me? It's just a discussion. If Doug and I differ on a personal preference, Doug, we're going to have a talk, shake hands after, and be best friends. But if it's a sin, then I got to go to the next step. If I've offended Doug, if I've, if I've sinned against Doug, then we've got to go to one another. There's got to be a conversation quickly. And then we've got to be specific and we've got to have grace and truth in this conversation. We want to keep it private. We don't want it to turn into gossip or slander. We don't want it to become a bad testimony to the community. If we can at all possible handle it that way. And can I tell you, that's why I've been here 26 years. Married 30 years. I just determined to work things out God's way. And that's why I'm not bitter this morning. That's why when I laid on my face in my office, as I do every Sunday morning, and pray, I'll say this, God, if there's aught between me and any brother in this world, bring them to mind right now, because I do not want to stand in that pulpit with any hate in my heart towards anyone. When I left the house this morning, I went to my wife's bedside. 30 years of marriage, she's 54 today. And I said, happy birthday, sweetheart. I love you. It's going to be a great day. You're beautiful. I don't want to ever leave the house Sunday morning, honey, where you and I are in conflict. I don't want to ever stand in this pulpit and you on the front row and you and not, I not have worked things out. Last week I told you about that text. That was, that was Sunday morning. That's right. Hey, we've gone till about 8.59 at times. You know what I found out about you people? Your favorite part of the sermon is when I'm telling you about, this is all all you remember. All you remember. Well, wasn't that good when Pastor slammed his wife? Wasn't that good? Wasn't it good when Pastor told us he, you know, he was a lousy husband this week? I love it. Doesn't it make us feel better when we know everybody else is not good either? It's like, it's great. It's like, yes. (laughs) 
But I can say, I'm going to work it out because I know, and I'm exaggerating to make a point. We do that in preaching sometimes. But the point I'm making is that I want to make it right. I don't want to be a hypocrite. I want to be the kind of Christian that can be real and authentic. So I'm going to have conflict. You and I are going to have conflict. We're going to have it. You say, Pastor, really, I, I, I want to stay in this church. I don't want to leave. Well, I don't want you to leave, so let's work it out. And if you do leave, let's still work it out. You say, what do you mean? Illustration, and I'll close. You know, when we were making some of these changes, there came a, a time when we actually determined, as a church family, and, and, and the leadership of our church determined that we were going to stop having a Sunday night service. In other words, we're not going to have a, a different service, totally different on Sunday nights than we were having on Sunday morning again, like going to church all over again. We had done that for years. You know, you go to church and you do the church thing and then you come back six hours later and do it all over again. Different sermon, different music. We just determined that that time was going to be more valuable spent in small groups, in Bible studies, or in family time. And let me, let me give you the order in which I think those are important. Family time, small group, and Bible study. I think you're doing a great thing on Sunday night if you spend time with family. In fact, I think it's going to do more for your spiritual life than coming back to church and hearing me preach a second time. So we decided that. It was great. I'll never forget when I had one of the best families in our church who I love very much sit in my office and say, I'm, we're leaving. And I said, what's it over? And they said, it's over Sunday night. They said, my, my dad was a pastor, and I could not in good conscience know he's in heaven today, but I just, and again, I don't need your opinion right now. I don't want your opinion. I don't want to give you my opinion because sometimes, well, what, what's the big deal? Listen, just let me tell the story. Be fair. And they looked at me and said, you know, my, I think my dad would just be upset. I just couldn't in good conscience not come to church on Sunday night, Pastor, so and I love this family. They were so wonderful. I had wonderful kids. And, and they said they were going to leave. And I said, I understand. I get it. It's tough, isn't it? Change is tough. And I know gospel light's not for everybody. And I know some people probably need Sunday night. So it's okay. And I, I don't want you to leave, but I understand. And they went, really? And I said, yeah, I do. I get it. I get it. I don't expect everybody to be able to do everything. I mean, there's going to be some times. And they said, really? And I said, yeah. And they go, true story. They go, can we still call you preacher? When we see you in town, can, and to this day, seven years later, I just saw this couple the other day in Walmart parking lot. Hey, preacher! I had been their pastor in seven years. But you know what we did? We resolved conflict. We did it right. To them, it was sin. To me, it wasn't per preference. But to them, they identified, they used, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. That was their interpretation. Guess what? We perceive it differently. I, I, I agree with that verse just like they agree with that verse. We just perceive how many times on Sundays you need to go to church. Is everybody okay with that? I'm okay with that. There's churches in our town that have Sunday night services. Does that mean they're better than us? No. And because we don't, does that mean we're better than them? No. Can we still be really good friends with a pastor that has slightly different preferences or doctrinal differences? As long as they're not the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the virgin birth and the inerrancy of the scriptures. Amen? We can still get along. I, I may not have them preach in my pulpit. They may not have me preach in their pulpit. But does that mean we can't pray together, do what we're doing tonight at, at the mall together? No. 
So how am I now getting along with so many more people that I was getting along with back then? Because I finally started practicing Matthew chapter 18. And it makes every relationship better, even with your enemies. Because a Christian shouldn't even treat his enemies the way that some of us treat each other. So we got to be careful. This is super important. God says a lot about this. And so church, I know we've got some differences, but we can work them out. We can work them out. And we can stay together. And our marriages can stay together. And our kids can, can, can stay together. And there's a lot of things that we can fix if we just practice this passage. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. With our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, and we have a short time of invitation. And we're right on time here this morning. I want to just draw your attention to that face, whoever it is, someone who you would say, you know, Pastor, I, I, I would, I do need, I do need to fix some things. I have a, a little tension in a relationship in my life. It doesn't have to be someone in this building or a spouse. It could be a, someone at work. It, it could be someone in your neighborhood. But it could be someone here. It could be someone in the last small group you were in that you never resolved. You just kind of moved small groups. and Maybe it would have been better to try to resolve that one, even if you left. I, I don't know. I'm just making things up, by the way. I'm not even thinking of anyone. I really am not. I'm just thinking about what could be. So identify what it is. And I would like to give you the opportunity for just a couple of minutes this morning to begin to pray about how God would have you to resolve that quickly. How you could get to that person. How you could go to them and and have a conversation, resolve the conflict, get past it, move on to greater things. And then I wonder how many of us need to identify some personal preferences that we've been literally getting angry about to others and we don't have a scripture we don't have a verse a chapter it's just our opinion and by the way everyone deserves an opinion and your opinion should be respected but let's all remember if it's not scripture it's not Matthew chapter 18 it's not it's only sin and it's only against you God's very clear so let's just let's just buy into what God says this morning Let's determine we're going to live by the word and not by just our fantasy and our private interpretation, maybe even our own version of scripture. Let's trust God's version. His word is true. So we're going to pray and they're going to sing. And I'm just going to open this up for a time that you can come to the altar, pray with your spouse, have a moment just to talk to God and and let him speak to you in in this moment. And however you want to respond. In this building, if you need to trust Christ, if you need to come and pray, if you need to seek out a brother in this moment, you feel that liberty. Father, I love you, and I just pray for this service. I pray for the remaining few moments that you would allow your Holy Spirit to have free course. We pray for that. You tell us to pray for that. So we're praying for his moving to be really evident and fluid at this time, and that truth and conviction would meet in our hearts and that we would deal with it. In Jesus' name, amen.